This morning's scripture reading comes from Joshua chapter 7, verses 10 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. As we begin to emerge from this pandemic, in many ways we are entering a new and unknown world. There will be new obstacles and new opportunities. Much the same could be said about Joshua and the Israelites when they crossed the river and entered the new world of the Promised Land. What was God's answer for their uncertainty? A constant and compelling message we all need to hear. Be strong and courageous. If you have a Bible, open it to Joshua chapter 7. That will be our text today, Joshua chapter 7. We are in a journey with Joshua and the Israelites as they cross the Jordan and enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. God had a destination for them. And he also had instructions for them, directions for how to get to that destination. That's the nature of life. God has a life he created us to live. And really the story is, if we stick with God, pretty much good things happen. That was certainly the story for Joshua and Israel. If they continue to submit to God, if they continue to follow the leadership of God and depend upon the provision and the protection of God, then things would go pretty well. They would end up in the place that he had destined them to be, the place that he wanted them to be. But if they chose to go on their own, if they chose to turn their backs on God, to question God, to do the things that were against the will of God, then things didn't go so well. And they wouldn't necessarily end up where he had hoped and planned and ordained for them to be. We have that same choice in life. We can choose to submit to God. We can choose to follow the leadership of God, depend on the protection and provision of God. And generally, things will go well, and we will end up where he wants us to be, at the center of his will. Now, that doesn't mean that life will always be easy. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It doesn't mean there won't be hard times. But it means we will be at the center of his will, following Jesus. However, if we choose to go our own route, if we choose to be selfish, to choose, if we choose that, that we know what's best, to give in to temptation, we move farther and farther away, not only from God, but for his, from his desired will for us. And we all know that. We all understand that. That's something we read in Scripture. That's something we have, we have accepted as truth, most of us, as followers of Jesus, or as those who are seeking truth. But we also acknowledge that it's not always easy, that life is difficult, and that we want to follow God, but something over here also looks really good. Or we want to submit to God, but we also want to buy into the ways of the world because they kind of make sense and it serves me. We, we want to do what God wants us to do, but we also want to do what we want to do. Paul wrote about this dilemma in Romans 7 verse 21. He says, here's the law I have found at work. When I want to do good, 
evil is what? It's right there. Evil is right there with me, pushing me, tempting me, prodding me, just always in my face, always confronting me. But here's the thing about evil. It, always, it doesn't always look like evil. In fact, sometimes it looks really good. It looks enticing. It looks like something that, that maybe I'm entitled to, something that I might enjoy. We're going to talk about sin this morning. We need to acknowledge sin. We need to acknowledge that there is evil in this world, but it's not just evil out there, you know, in society, in culture, in, in this group or that group. We are sinners. And so this morning, as we talk about the reality of sin and the consequences of sin, I just encourage you to not think of someone else or not another group of people or someone you know who has a certain struggle or whatever it is, but really reflect on self this morning and let the word of God speak to you. Sin is serious. Sin has consequences for us and for others around us. We will see that today in our story, but it's not just true in the stories in scripture. It is true about us today. Sin has consequences and it removes us from the path that God has made us to travel. It, it puts us outside of his will. We don't end up in the land of promise and destiny because we choose to go a different route. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Author Steve Farrar said this about sin. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and will cost you more than you are willing to pay. That statement, in many ways, is the tragic yet truthful synopsis of the life and the death of a man named Achan. Achan was one of the Israelites that Joshua led into the promised land. His name, Achan, came to mean trouble or troublemaker. Now, as far as we know, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a military leader, he wasn't a man of influence among the Israelites, he was just a guy. A guy among other guys and gals as a part of Israel, but a guy who made some very poor choices. When faced that, with that dilemma, do I submit to God or do I allow temptation to get the best of me? He didn't choose well. And his choice, his sin, didn't just impact him. It did in a very profound way. It also impacted his family in a very profound way, but it impacted the whole community, all of Israel. This one person's decision to sin. In Joshua 7, our text today, the Israelites are, are right on the heels of the unique and, and profound victory at Jericho. The walls came down with the marching and the trumpets. And now it's time for the next city, the next obstacle. There are other inhabitants in the land. And we don't see in the text that Joshua necessarily calls on God or that God gives him some instruction, but Joshua sends spies to scout out the city or the area called Ai. That's how it's spelled, Ai. I assume that's how it's pronounced, Ai. And the scouts go there, and it's almost like, okay, we have a the next team on our schedule, let's watch the game film. And they watch the game film, and as they watch the film, what they say is, 
This team that we're facing is nothing. We have a cupcake on our schedule. Automatic victory. We don't even need our whole team. We certainly don't need our first stringers. They are weak. They are vulnerable. There's not very many. We could scale back our army and take them with no problem. So that's what Joshua does. He sends a scaled back army into this city. You know what happens? Go to our text. Chapter 7, verse 4. They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. (laughs) From the thrill of victory at Jericho to the agony of defeat at Ai. Joshua sees what's happening, and he is amazed. He doesn't know what to think. And so he and the elders of the people rip their clothes. They fall on the ground, obviously an outward, visible sign of the grieving process. And now he calls on God. And I want you to notice what he says to God. Back in the text, verse 7, Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us. If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? Isn't it interesting how so often when things don't go well in life, our first reaction is to look for someone else to blame? In many ways, that's what Joshua does. He doesn't go to God and say, God, I'm sorry, something's gone wrong, we have stumbled, we have sinned. What does he say? God, why did you or why didn't you? It's so much easier to point fingers than it is to take responsibility. It's so much more comfortable and convenient to say this is someone else's fault. And we have a whole list of people and groups that we like to choose from. It's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. We see this all the time in failed marriages. You see it in interpersonal relationships. Sometimes even when you lose a job or you lose money, it's always someone else's fault. Joshua says to God, why don't you just let us stay over there? If this is what you were going to give us, defeat, then why don't you let us just stay on the other side of the river? And God tells Joshua, wait a second, there's a problem. And the problem is not me. (laughs) The problem is sin and disobedience. And that sin and that disobedience set the entire nation of Israel on a different path course remember God had a destination and God had directions for them and now they have sinned and there is disobedience and they are on a different course so look back at the text verse 10 and I want you to notice the collective nature of God's instruction to them the Lord said to Joshua stand up what are you doing down on your face Israel has sinned they have violated my covenant which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. That is what the Israelites cannot stand, or that is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs 
and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. It's probably not difficult to see the collective terms there. I highlight them to make it really easy. But you see all the they, they, them, them, Israel? Sin does not occur in a vacuum. We need to understand that. When we sin, it is not just something that impacts us. It is something that has a ripple effect on the community, on our families, on the church, on the witness of the church. And as we will see in our story, sin certainly had the ripple effect for this man named Achan, the troublemaker. As I said earlier, it impacted him, his family, and the whole nation of Israel. That is the nature of sin. That is what sin does. That is one of the destructive forces that Satan uses in sin to tear us apart. So during the unconventional victory at Jericho, someone had evidently taken some things as plunder. Now sometimes God allowed his people to take plunder when they took a city. They could take some things. But Jericho seems like it's different. And maybe since it's the first city in the land of Canaan, the promised land, maybe it's sort of the first fruits that were to be offered to God. And so God said, this isn't plunder. These are devoted things in this city. Now, we don't use that term devoted things around here much. But basically what it meant was anything in the city is to be destroyed. Some of the gold was to be put in the Lord's treasury, but pretty much everything was to be destroyed. And the reason was God didn't want any of that influence, the pagan influence, the ungodliness. He didn't want any of that influence to be around his people. He knew the hearts of his people. And as we look back, we know the whole story. There's a good reason, because they gave in to that influence so often. And so God didn't want that influence. And so he said in the previous chapter, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, destroy those things. Don't take them for yourselves. They don't belong to you. They are devoted to God. They are to be destroyed. But someone disobeyed. Someone felt entitled. Someone saw something that looked good. I can keep that. I can take those things. And no one will ever know. And what does God say to do with those things? Anything in the camp that is devoted, that is causing the people to move away from the path of God? Verse 12, they are to be destroyed. Destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Get rid of it. God says, I don't want any part of it among you because it will only tear you down. It will only infiltrate the whole community and it will cause problems. It will set you on a different course. You'll end up in a different place. I've mentioned that a few years ago, I was diagnosed with malignant melanoma. It's the bad kind of skin cancer. I had a spot on my back, and so I go in, and they look at that, and they say, that doesn't look good. They do a test, and they confirm that's not good. So I have to have a surgery, and in the surgery, they take out a big plug in my skin. They want to make sure they get deep enough to get it out. But they also take out some lymph nodes because they want to test them. Why? Because they want to make sure that it hasn't spread. That's the nature of cancer. Some of you know that all too well. It has a tendency to spread. 
And so now, when I go to the dermatologist, way too often, they don't even put me on an examining table. They just have a big wooden cutting board. They just lay me up there and start carving me up. But I'm thankful. I'm glad. Thankfully, it hadn't spread. And I'm thankful that we keep an eye on it. See, that's the nature of sin. It gets in. It finds a place. It finds a home. And then what does it do? It spreads. And its influence spreads. And its damage spreads. And pretty soon, it infects the whole body. And God says, I do not want that for my people. Keep it away. Get rid of it. Cut it out. Destroy it. Do not allow it to be among you. God wants to deal with the sin. So Joshua needs to find out the source. He needs to find out where it's come from. And God says, you need to find out. And he gives him this sort of elaborate process of, of elimination to go through. And Joshua goes through this process of elimination. And there's finally one man standing, you guessed it, the troublemaker, Achan. He's there, and Joshua says, what did you do? What did you do? Here's what he says in verse 20. He replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them. It's the same word for desire. I desired them. I wanted them. And I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Finally, Achan comes clean. And what we see from his story is that sin separates us from God. And it separates us from God's plan for us, God's will for us. Sin takes us farther than we want to go and it costs us more than we can pay. But God deals with sin. God always deals with sin. Even when we don't want to, God does. And in this case, Joshua takes Achan and he takes all those devoted things that were to be destroyed and he takes all that Achan owns and he takes his children who we don't know if they were innocent or if they played a part in this, maybe the cover-up, maybe they participated in it, we don't know for sure. But he takes all of them to this place, the Valley of Accor. It sounds a lot like his name, doesn't it? That's where it got its name. The Valley of Accor, the Valley of Trouble. Achan goes to the valley of trouble. The troublemaker goes to the pit of trouble. The evidence has been discovered. The guilty has been charged. The verdict has been read, and the sentence is severe. Do you know what happens to Achan in the valley of trouble? He is destroyed. He loses his life as does his family. Tragic ending. You see, what should have been destroyed became destructive. That's such an important lesson for us to learn. What should have been destroyed became destructive. Those items were supposed to be dedicated to God. They were supposed to be removed, and yet they became the very things that ended up destroying him. Remember what Paul said, evil is always right there. And what Satan wants to do with that evil is destroy you, destroy your relationships, destroy your life, your joy, and your eternity. And so here's one of the lessons we need to learn. We need to be careful 
that we don't allow devoted things to destroy us. There are things in our lives that in and of themselves are not bad. They're not sinful. A robe from Babylonia, silver and gold, as far as I know, they aren't inherently evil. We have things in our lives, jobs, possessions, money, opportunities, gifts, talents, relationships. We have things that aren't inherently evil, but sometimes we allow those things to push us away from God. We don't devote those things to God. Instead, we allow those things to become a wedge between us and God. There are other things that are simply not good. Sinful behavior, things that are evil, things that are inherently bad. And we need to keep those things at a distance. And yet sometimes we allow those things, we invite those things, we welcome those things into our lives. And those things will destroy us. They will damage us in our relationships, in our faith, in our eternity. Don't allow the devoted things to become destructive things. You see, sin must be dealt with because it will separate us from God. It will separate us from the will of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. God's judgment on Achan and his family may seem harsh. I, I realize that. And that's one of the things that you need to struggle with. I would encourage you to spend some time in the sermon discussion resources. Watch the video. Go through the questions with family, with friends. Spend some time wrestling with the justice and the judgment and the wrath of God. With the mercy and the love and the grace of God. There's some hard questions there. And that may seem really harsh, what happened to Achan and his family. But one thing it does, if nothing else, it reminds us, it's a sobering reminder of the seriousness of sin and the reality of judgment. You see, we all want justice. We stand up for justice. The truth is, we want justice when we've been wronged. When we're the ones doing the wrong, we don't really care much for justice. We want mercy. Or we want to be overlooked. But we want justice. That's a value that we defend, justice. And God is a God of justice. You cannot have justice without some form of judgment. And so we think about our case. When you read this story, guess which character you and I relate to? <laughs> I got some bad news for you. It's Achan. That's us. We give in to selfishness. We see something that looks good, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and we give in to that and we sin. And that sin separates us from God. That sin takes us on a path away from God's desired destiny for us. We are Achan. We take those devoted things and rather than devoting them to God or keeping them at a distance, depending on if they're good or bad, we allow them to destroy us. We hide them, we conceal them, we sometimes even excuse ourselves. We compare ourselves to others, well, I'm not as bad as him or her. You see, our sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death. We deserve death. But here's where our story and Achan's story seem to deviate. 
See, Jesus wasn't there for Achan. The rest of the verse in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is such good news for you and me. Jesus died the death that you deserve, that I deserve, to remove the sins that we commit, the sin that separates us from God. In many ways, Jesus becomes the very thing that is devoted to destruction for us, for our sake. This story in Joshua 7 is more than a history lesson. It is a foreshadowing of the need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, For God has not destined us for wrath. We don't have to end up in the valley of trouble. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. What did the prophet Isaiah say? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. The punishment that brought us peace, that brought us back to God, that put us in the presence of a holy and a perfect God despite our sin, that punishment was on him. But it brings us peace. But here's the catch. You have to accept it. You have to embrace it. Love does not force anyone to do anything. And God doesn't force you to accept what he has done for you through Jesus But if you don't accept it, you need to know that you die in your sin. And ultimately, that sin leads to death, not just physical death, eternal death. It separates you from God. It takes you outside the will of God and certainly does not put you in the destined place that God created for you. You have to accept it. In 1830, there was a man named George Wilson. He was caught and charged for robbing a postal worker, and according to a lot of sources, he killed a security guard. He and his accomplice were, were sentenced to death by hanging. It didn't take long for them to hang his accomplice, his buddy. But there was sort of this, this swell of, of support for Wilson. He had some friends in high places, and there was also this, this rhetoric against the capital punishment. And so an appeal was made to the president at that time, Andrew Jackson, to pardon George Wilson. And finally, Jackson did that. He granted a pardon for George Wilson. And here's the remarkable thing of the story. George Wilson refused it. He said, thanks, but no thanks. Well, they had never seen this before. They didn't know what to do. The Supreme Court actually made a ruling. The Supreme Court came in and said, well, wait, a pardon is only valid if it's accepted. We can't force him to take it. And he didn't take it. And according to one pretty reliable source, it wasn't long before he was hanged for his crime. You see, you have to accept it. God doesn't force you to be a child of his. He doesn't force you to confess faith in Jesus to surrender your life to him he wants you to he gives you every opportunity to but he doesn't force you that's a choice you have to make I hope that you will make that choice if you haven't but it's not just a one-time choice it's a daily choice to surrender my life to see the path of God to see that what the world is offering the evil that always is right there 
and by the power of the Holy Spirit to refuse that evil and to submit to God. As we close, there's one more thing in this story that is often missed that you need to see. And I think as we wrestle with the wrath of God and judgment and all of those things, let me bring you back to this one thing in this story. Do you remember where Joshua took Achan, the valley of Accor, the valley of trouble? He took the troublemaker to the valley of trouble. Well, that place is mentioned again in Scripture much later after Israel has gone back and forth from faithfulness to unfaithfulness. That valley is mentioned again. God, through one of his prophets, talks about Israel. Talks about his first love, Israel. And how, yes, Israel has been rebellious, but ultimately his plan is to redeem them. So this is what he says through Hosea in chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. He's talking about his people, Israel. I will lead her into the wilderness, and I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. You see, that's who God is. God is the God who takes the pit of trouble and death and redeems it into a door of hope. That's the God we serve. That's what God does with you and with me. He takes our past. He takes our struggles. He takes our sin. All of those things that in many ways are a pit of trouble and death. And he redeems us. He redeems them and gives us a door of hope so that we can live in that place where God has planned for us, so that we can live the life that he has created us to live. There is hope. There is always hope with Jesus. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. There is always hope with Jesus. But again, you have to choose Jesus. He's chosen you, but you have to choose him. Maybe today is your day, confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, saying, this is real, and I want to be a part of it. I want to surrender my life. I want to walk the path of obedience and submission to God through Christ. That's what I want to do, to be baptized into Christ, clothed with Christ, raised to live a new life as a new creation. We would be happy to celebrate with you today. Or maybe we can encourage you and pray for you. We'd be happy to do that as well. You can go to our website, to the prayer page, and reach out to us there. If you're here in the room, you can come forward as we stand together and sing.